0: Titus chapter 2 passage that we've been reading from. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching them that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for bringing us here. We want to thank you for your word, and we want to thank you for our time. Sharing it and being under it. And we pray now that you might grant that we might see our Saviour, not the Servant. We pray, Lord, you might give us open hearts, not closed hearts. And we pray, Lord, you might give us softened hearts, not hard hearts. So be with us now as we look into your Word. Speak to us, we ask. And grant that we shall have things that you want us to do and to be as a result of this weekend, and hearing your great word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're just going to go over, really, where we've been, because uh, everyone's been focusing on their bit of the passage, and so they should. But let's just remind you of the the whole scope of what we're looking at. We're looking at this passage in the middle of Titus, chapter 2. But if you go back to Titus chapter 1, you might ask yourself again and be reminded of the sort of things Peter said on Friday evening. What's the book about? Well, I went to a pastor's conference and the title of the conference was this, What do you do when the church is in a mess? And the focus was on Titus. So that's not a bad theme, is it? What do you do when the church is in a mess? And this book is about that. And the battles that Titus was facing, advice that Timothy, that Titus were being given by Paul... As he faced the, uh, the people who were standing against him in Crete and all the various pressures the church had. So if you go through the book, you simply go through chapter one, beginning of it, and it says this, think great thoughts about God and the gospel. And later on in that chapter, we're talking about getting the right people into leadership. And then you go into uh, the end of that chapter and it says, declare war on false teaching. And having declared war and it, you stand fe- fe- uh, toe-to-toe with the heretics, with those who challenge. And then you go into chapter 2, and it simply says that uh, we need each of us to know, each, each sort of person needs to know what they need to be in the Church of God. That's chapter 2. And at the end of the chapter, we come to the heart of the book, the reason... For it all. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The reason for it all that's what we've been studying from Friday night through until this afternoon when Trevor closes our conference. I just want to remind you that the grace of God was the focus of Peter's talk. And he talked about the contrast between the first person who's been released after doing all those terrible deaths and causing those deaths in Lockerbie. He's been set free for the questions over his guilt. He's been set free to die. We've been set free to live. And so that was part of the focus of this grace of God, this amazing grace. And then Steve told us about saying no to ungodliness, facing up to our sin. Don't be discouraged by your past failures. Depend on Christ's power. Avoid temptation. What's God been saying to you this weekend? What are you going to take away with you? You pray for the speakers, you pray for each other. Do you pray for yourself? Do you, you know, the cameras, as it were, focus on on everyone else. And sometimes our prayers are like that, aren't they? They focus on everybody else. But really, do you know what God wants to do is turn the camera around and focus right back on you and say, so now. What are you learning? What did you learn from Steve? What did you learn from Peter? What did you learn from Dave Harding when he said those things? Hurry, hurry to say yes to godliness. Be prepared to stand on your own. What did you take away from it? I thought it was a wonderful picture of a flourishing garden of your soul. and your, There you are, garden. I'm a hopeless gardener. But isn't it wonderful to be a person who looks at their heart and their soul as a garden. Are you prepared to stand alone and say, I will be what God wants me to be, whatever else others might say and be. And then Roger last night when he, uh, he took us to focus on that, that wonderful passage about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and again in the middle of that passage, the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus, And those wonderful thoughts of seeing the present in the light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Laying out the red carpet for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Redesigning the present in the light of the future. And then to the heart of it all. Pick up that Bible and look again at verse 14. That focus that Steve just had with us. He gave himself for us. We heard so much about him doing. So many things for us. But have you grasped yet? What Steve was telling us? He gave himself for us. He gave everything he was. For us. For you. And for me. Have you grasped it? To hit your heart? Have you learnt it? He could not do more. He took my sin. He took my shame. He took my sufferings he took my separation I've been asked to focus on the next part which says this he's going to redeem us from every lawless and this is the part I was asked to speak on and purify for himself his own special people and purify for himself his own special people I've got a few questions I want to ask you and I want you to answer them before God Not before me or any of your mates, this is not about getting any approval, this is before God. Here's the first question. What is God's purpose for your life? What does he really want you to be? And the answer of course, we've been hearing it throughout the weekend in various forms. Werner Wright had a saying, didn't he? If the wood is thick, hit the nail twice. Well, the nail's been hit about 15 times this weekend. Has it gone in yet? What does God want for you? He wants you to be pure. He wants you to be pure. He wants me to be pure. And some of us think being pure is dull. Being pure on Facebook doesn't give you a lot of credit. Maybe it's not cool to be pure. C.S. Lewis said this how little people know when they think holiness is dull when one meets the real thing it's irresistible when you meet real purity and real holiness it's irresistible do you want to be irresistible? gentlemen, do you want to be irresistible? wives, do you want to be irresistible? ladies, do you want to be irresistible? purity That's what he says, and yes, Lewis is so right. But I want to tell you this. God is not just wanting you to be pure. He's working in you to be pure. Listen to these words. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. To will and to do is good pleasure. He is working in you. Do you get that? You're not on your own. He's working in you. Now, he's working in you. Through the summer, he's been working in you. Through your life, he's been working in you. And then this lovely phrase in Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which he prepared beforehand that we should work in. He's working in you. You're his own special people. And he's working in you. You're his workmanship. He's not just willing to do something. He's doing it. And he's shaping you. And he's working in you because you're his workmanship. There is no doubt, Christian, this morning, if you are his and you've trusted him, and you've asked him to cleanse you and forgive you for all your sin, he is working in you. See, he's the heavenly chemist. I used to be a chemistry uh, teacher. Before that, I did chemistry research. I thought I was Einstein. When I did the research, I discovered I was no more than a bumbling idiot. (laughs) And on one day, I proved it. I made a chemical called allyl isocyanide. Now, I know that impresses you. (laughs) But it hadn't been made... For years before, about 1919 in Paris, so I followed his mixtures. I mixed everything the same way as the guy in Paris. I worked in a fume cupboard because allyl chemicals are very poisonous. Cyanides are poisonous, but isocyanides are even more poisonous, and they got an incredible smell. I mean, just incredible. So I was in the fume cupboard. I had a gas mask on. I had the antidote by my side. And there I was, happily buzzing away, mixing everything together. Down the road, an organic chemist walked in. He said, I've just been sick. You're making allyl compound. Are you an idiot? Well, I was, but I didn't like to admit it. (laughs) And then there was a message came from the uh, professor of of uh, mass to the professor of chemistry. Will you stop that fool, whoever he is, making this horrible smell? Because, you see, the, I didn't know, but the, the sort of extracting fumes, big tubes like that, were going right through the middle of the maths department. <laughs> Worse than that, the maths library. I shut the maths library down as well. So I'd made it. I knew I'd made it. I knew I'd made allyl isocyanide I knew it was there. The only snag was... I just couldn't purify it I did everything I could for week after week I tried to purify the thing and there was all this gunge all the time all the way around it after a while my prof came to me this was the low point in my PhD and I had many low points in my PhD (laughs) this was the lowest and he said they've just made it in California they've just done what you've been trying to do and I asked you to do you don't need to try anymore did I hit a low point See, purifying things is incredibly difficult. But God is doing that with you. And he's doing it with me. He's working in us in a wonderful, wonderful way. See, he's working in us through our weakness. He works in us through our weakness to purify us. I just remember years ago standing with one boy opposite me on the beach in Blackpool. I had a football. He had Nothing. The team hadn't all arrived. The golden mile was the other side of the road. And I thought, what on earth am I doing? The golden Mar to attract everyone. And I got a football. You know, we have got to be idiots, haven't we, to go and stand on the beach and throw balls to people and expect that. But that's what God does. He takes us and he gives us weakness and shows us his strength. He works through our weakness. He works through His Word, of course, and we've heard a great deal about that, and I wouldn't want to even more emphasize, I want to emphasize that even more. He works through His Word. He works through His people. But this one I want to emphasize this morning is this, He works through circumstances. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 to 9. And I'll read to you that passage says this. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may be genuine, may be found true genuine, And may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What's Paul saying there? He's using an incredibly powerful picture. In the middle of that, he is saying simply this When you take metal, it's impure. But when you purify it, it becomes beautiful and it becomes strong. I'm certain that if I bought some jewellery for Pat, she would not want me to put gold ore on it. I mean, it would just look horrible. And you wouldn't get married and put a, an ore ring on you. All. You just wouldn't do it, would you? It's awful. It's not beautiful. But when it's purified, it's boiled up, it's heated up, it's passed through trials and, uh, and, uh, and testings, it becomes pure. And folk this morning... I'm absolutely certain that there are many of us not all of us who are going through trials and difficulties that we're facing which are God is God boiling us up and taking away our impurities that's the picture we're given and God wants us to be in our highest state of beauty and our highest state of strength and we do that by being pure see we have got to stop saying to God you've got it wrong You've got to stop saying, God, you're working in me, but you've got this wrong. We've got to trust him as he takes us through the fires of trials and difficulties. Because he's working in us to purify us. His great love brings us trials. His great love brings us pressures. How would we be? See, the Western word wants comfort. Comfort, more and more comfort. We live in comfort zones. What God wants us to do is take us out of our comfort zone. That's where the blessing is. So he doesn't get things wrong. Let me give you two examples. Are you single? Has he got it wrong with you? Has he got it wrong? You're married. Well, that's a cauldron. Those of us who are married. I mean, after six months, some people say, is this the man? I'm not married to the same man as I I was courting. No. The real man is the one you see when you're married to him. The other one's a pale shadow of what he... He was pretending all that time just to get you married. You marry someone and you're into a cauldron. And you'll be changed. You will be changed. And God is using marriage, and he does do, to change you. Has he got it wrong? No, he hasn't. It's just one of his ways of doing it. Just tell you one example. My wife, Pat. Simple thing, this, but it illustrates the sort of thing he goes through. I had a question one morning. And she went like this. Have you ever thought how the top gets back on the shaving cream every morning? (laughs) I know now. (laughs) But you're being changed in that that's that's nothing, is it? But God is changing us through circumstances. He drives us to the foot of the cross to show us our weakness, to show us that we need him. And he's the only one who's going to be of any use. It's uncomfortable grace. But that's what God's bringing to you. Uncomfortable grace. He wants to test the genuineness of your faith. He wants us to make us pure. There's an eternal place for us and we're not ready yet. Let me read, I dare to, <laughs> I'm going to say something about Bunyan now. Me, not from Bedford either. There's this great book, if you've not read it, get hold of it by Facebook. It's great. This is what uh, Bunyan went through. You know he spent many years in prison and in a sense at the peak of his His physical and mental powers. And this is what he writes as he spends time in prison. But notwithstanding these helps, that's God's comfort and grace, I found myself a man, and encompassed with infirmities, the parting with my wife and poor children hath oft been to me in this place as the pulling of my flesh from my bones." And that not only because I am somewhat too fond of those great mercies, but also because I should have so often been brought to mind the, their many hardships and miseries, and what my poor family was like to me without me. And should I be taken from them, especially my poor blind child, who lay nearer my heart than all I had besides? Has God got you wrong? no no he spent that time in prison he faced those sufferings he was being purified and not only that God was making sure we had those wonderful books that he wrote listen to what he says when the jailer informed Bunyan that his last hope had failed the prisoner's reaction demonstrated the reality of his trust in God whatever the outcome this is what he says I was not at all daunted, but rather glad, and said evidently that the Lord had heard me. For before I went down to the justice, I begged of God that if I might do more good by being at liberty than in prison, I might be at liberty. But if not, his will be done. God is working in you through trials and difficulties and problems. He's at work in you. He's purifying you. Second question is this. If uh, What's his purpose? He wants us to be pure. Then ask this question. How can I be pure? What do I do? Because scripture is very clear, isn't it? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. You need to work it out. So do I. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The snag that most of us have is this. If we're asking us, what do we do? And we've heard many things we need to do. What does God want you to do? Let me add just a few more thoughts on this particular issue. When you sin, why do you sin? When you're impure, why are you impure? Let me give you one particular illustration of that. When I lie, why do I lie? A pastor in America said this uh, he was once in a, at the end of a meeting, a lady came up to him and said, I gave you a book last week. Have you read it? It's a big church. He's a busy pastor. He hadn't read it. But you know what he said? I'm starting tomorrow. I'm starting it tomorrow. And he said to himself afterward, Why did I lie? Here's why he lied. He reckons... Because he wanted the approval of that person in his congregation more than he wanted the approval of God. Do you get the idea? The God he worshipped was his own approval. The God he worshipped was himself. And he didn't want to do what God would want him to do. So, someone else got in the way. So, he had a treasure. He had a treasure of personal uh, satisfaction. People appreciating him. Him being approved. And every one of us has some kind of treasure. And your treasure will control your heart. The Bible says, the Lord Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And what controls your heart will control your behaviour. You cannot serve two masters. So I want to ask you this morning, what's your treasure? You see, the person maybe you met and mildly enjoyed becomes the person who you now seek approval from and you can't live without the work you started to support your family becomes the source of your identity and achievement and you can't give it up what is it that's your treasure ask God what is my treasure what am I putting above you that's causing me to sin and to be what I shouldn't be what is it that fills your dreams what fills your waking thoughts what is it you crave What is the one thing which would change your life? So you think. What's the one thing that gives you satisfaction, contentment or peace? What's the one thing you'd mourn at if you lost it? What is it that gets you up in the morning? That's if you get up. What is it you can't live without? What's your treasure? Ask God to show you what your treasure is. You see, it's possible to have so many treasures. And you get identified with it. Michael Owen was talking to John Wilkinson about uh, Johnny Wilkinson, is he a rugby player in England? Something like that. Is that right? Uh, and Johnny Wilkinson says to, uh, says to Michael Owen if you are a football player and you haven't been playing football for so many months because you're injured who are you? If you're a football player you've been playing football for so many playing, and now you're not playing who are you? His identity is totally wrapped up in what he does see you can have so many gods let me illustrate just a few you can have pleasure gratification and comfort as your God that's what you can have do ask God before him is this what is my God is this why I'm sinning because if it is your your area then the fact of the matter is you'll find yourself getting addicted to something you'll become chained to escape strategies that help you think that you can avoid the hardness of life what is it that you are after as your God is it pleasure, gratification, comfort I've spoken to young people who claim to be Christians and they are Christians I'm sure but some of them are addicted to porn I mean addicted to porn addicted to drugs addicted to alcohol addicted to sex addicted to tellies let's be real about this before God where are you? Suddenly churches fall apart. Suddenly families fall apart. Why do they fall apart? Does it all just suddenly happen? No, it's because we put some other God in the place of God. We have a treasure that isn't God. Is your treasure pleasure, gratification and comfort? Or is your your treasure relationships and approval? If that's the way, you're going to constantly be hurt by criticism. You'll be always losing friends. You'll fear confronting other people. And you'll be a useless friend because you'll never tell them the truth. Why do I lie because I want approval? Why do I spend so much time on Facebook shaping my image? Why is it that there are Christians, and I know this is true, I've not actually seen the website, I'm told on Facebook, Christians in Facebook who show pictures of themselves not modestly dressed in nightclubs. In nightclubs, there are pictures on Facebook. Can you believe it? Why? Simply this, because God isn't God at the moment. Something else become God. Approval from him makes my image. You know the beach mission is not good on fashion. I have often been seen wearing socks with sandals. And at that moment I have three sons who disown me, walk away from me. You cannot wear socks with sandals, Dad. So I, I feel... So, anyway, it doesn't matter about that. Are you a fashion person? Is that you want approval? Look, it's God's approval you need. And if you're going to be made pure, you've got to get rid of that God. See, some people put up uh, n- noble causes. And so some things. some people become demonised by that. Your noble cause, everything is important. And ironically, you get controlled by your enemies if you do that. Without your enemies, you've got no purpose. As a young man, I remember going to a pastor, a great man. And he helped me greatly. And yet he told me about another pastor. And sort of painted him as being quite a difficult, dark and dangerous person. So, for years, for years, I took up that noble cause, quietly. Didn't go around saying much, but in my heart I was saying, Oh, oh, I know about him. And then God opened my eyes and said, He's never done anything to you. He's doing a great job in his local church. Why on earth are you on this noble cause in your own heart of destroying this person? Put me first, live for me, and stop having these noble causes that have got no foundation. I spoke to a lovely man, a godly pastor who had been criticised very heavily in writing by someone else. And I said to him, I'm so sorry to hear what's happened to you. He simply said this. He said, well, he said... I don't know where they get the time from. <laughs> and off he went. Now there's godliness, isn't it? He didn't defend himself. He didn't argue I don't know where they get the time from. And off he went. Godly man who had no reason to be criticised. His God was God. He knew he'd been forgiven. And if he'd been forgiven everything, then he could forgive others. Religion and morality can become your God if you're not careful. It's possible even to make church your God. UBM, your God. YL, your God. The organisation you work for, your God. It isn't your God. God is your God. Is he first? Is he at the top? See, the context for what we're looking at is this. He gave himself for us, that he might redeem us, and purify for himself his own special people. That's the context. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He gave himself for us. C.S. Lewis said this. There are two kinds of people. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, Thy will be done. Do you get that? Two kinds of people who say, God, Thy will be done. You're first. You're my God. Or those who say, My will. And God says, Thy will be done. Jesus warns us in order that we might be pure. So let me say this. In the Christian faith, in our service for God, in our purity, up is down. Wealth is giving away. Winning is losing. Greatness is becoming a servant of all. People around you need self-sacrificing love. We go low, not high. We've no pride. We're generous with our space and our time. See, God is at work in us. He's at work in us in wonderful ways to purify us. C.S. Lewis said this, If you aim at the earth, you'll get neither earth nor heaven, but if you aim at heaven, you'll get both very quickly second what, what do I do second thing you need to know this you don't have to sin and I'm not going to spend time that was done well yesterday and I don't want to uh, do anything other than remind you you don't have to sin consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God you don't have to sin third thing is this what do you have to do well you might ask this question will it hurt and I'd have to say are you prepared for pain the dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only Thee. In our church, we've got a chap called Howell. He's a great character, ex, ex minor uh, He looks after himself very well. Uh, he does the best. He went to the doctors one day and he'd got a frozen shoulder. And the doctor said, "Well, oh, I'm so sorry, Howell." But you'll only be able to lift your arm this much ever, if you're lucky. You'll never be able to do that, that's all. So Howell said, okay. Went home, thought, not going to happen to me. I'm going to soak my arm out. So what does Howell do? <laughs> he gets his leather belt, In his, uh, he goes into his shed, gets his leather belt, hooks it over, <laughs> over one of the beams in his... Oh, this is going to be painful. And he pulls it down. So he gets hold of one end, ties the other end round his arm. <laughs> Brings tears to your eyes just thinking about it. <laughs> and he goes, hmm. day after day, Hal was in this shed going, <laughs> I said to Hal, how are you getting on? Absolutely fine. <laughs> You've got to tear it from. It's painful sometimes. The story is told of the uh, of band of brothers. Indeed, they, uh, they went from D Day to, to Berlin. They were an American platoon called Easy. They had lots of adventures on their way, and when they got to Belgium, they were uh, halted up, held up by an, a, a German army, and they ended up in the forests. Snow all over the place in the middle of winter. And in the forest, there was this uh, young man who was a doctor, a medic, and he ran from foxhole to foxhole, helping uh, each of the the soldiers. If they were hurt, he'd give medicine or give uh, cloths to wrap bind their wounds. So that's what he did. He was uh, just selfless. He gave himself, this medic did, in order that others might live. One day someone was badly injured, so he shot them off and took them over to... to, um, to a hospital. In the hospital, uh, he uh, he saw this horrible suffering. He was in a church, that he, uh, and in the church, he saw one of the nurses, and she had this sort of headband on. I don't know what you call them—a sort of bandana thing. Anyway, she, that's what she was wearing, and she was beautiful altogether. And uh, and he and he fell for her. True story. And and, and then when he fell for her, uh, she gave him some chocolate. And then when she gave him some chocolate, they had a bit of a chat. He went back to his foxholes, running in between them all, rescuing people, putting bandage on them, helping them. But he didn't have much bandage, he didn't have much medicine but he did what he could. And then he heard there's been a bomb attack on the village where the hospital was. He ran to the village, and there, sure enough, the whole hospital, the church that it was in, has collapsed, and there she was, dead on the floor. He gently reaches down to her, takes the one thing that he can, the bandana off her head. Smells it, it's got her perfume on. Tucks it in his pocket, and back he goes running between foxholes sad but serving and then came the incident where he'd run out of bandage and a man was very seriously very seriously ill obviously needed to be bound and he only had one piece of cloth on him what was he going to do? he took it out he looked at it he put it back then he took it out and he wrapped up the wound. Is there anything in your heart and life that you won't touch, that you won't use for God? You've got to take everything. It, are you prepared? It will hurt, but God wants you to be pure. He wants you to be His. Well, time's running out. I've just got to finish with a third question. With all my failures, with all my setbacks, with all my inability to be pure, does He love me still? Look at that verse. Look at verse uh, verse 14. We're his own special people. We're his own special people. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself his own special people. This refers back to uh, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5 where it says this. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all people. God says to his people, you're my treasured possession. You might have a treasure, but God's got a treasure, and it's you. <laughs> it's me. Isn't that amazing? Because he gave himself for us, didn't he? And it's repeated again in Peter, where he talks about a people for his own possession. It's repeated in Deuteronomy, where... Uh, God speaks about the people for his treasured possession so does he love you still he does can you understand that you're more sinful than you ever could imagine yourself to be but you're more loved than you can ever imagine at any time anyone could ever love anyone with his own special people his treasured possession how safe are we how safe are we in this love well you know that passage my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hands. You know the old illustration? The old ones are the best ones, aren't they? No one shall ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one shall snatch them out of my Father's hand. How secure can you be? Well, even more secure because he says here, I and my Father are one. That's where you are. Are you safe? Absolutely safe. Absolutely secure. You're his own special people. He's given himself for you. You're now his. And he's working in us in a wonderful way. See, he won't forget us. He will never forget us. He will never forsake you. I've been given permission to use this story. It's risky, but I've been given permission. A few years ago, it it was Christmas Eve, and Pat, my wife, went shopping in Llenesli. All together, Llenesli. No, sorry. (laughs) It's a Welsh lesson. And on the way back, she, uh, I must get the story right, She, uh, she was coming back from Asda. She parked in Asda, so then she went and parked near the Christian bookshop. And, uh, and then she went back to get something and she saw a lady by the bus stop with an Asda trolley who was really struggling so Pat gets over the Asda trolley goes with the lady to the bus gets the lady on the bus sends goodnight to the lady and takes the trolley back to Asda Thereon she looks for the car in Asda and she can't find it so that night in the church meeting we all prayed for Pat And for the car that was lost. She didn't know. It was stolen. We obviously assumed it was stolen. Police came. It was reported. We all felt sorry, deeply sorry. Pat cancelled all her cards. Three days later, well, three nights later, in the middle of the night, about three o'clock in the morning, Pat suddenly made this noise. (gasps) Ah! Something like that, I'm quite sure. It was the middle of the night. She said, I know where the car is. <laughs> we went to the middle of Skenesky and there was the car where she'd left it. <laughs> so, so we went to the police and said, we've solved a crime. <laughs> <laughs> the snag was, the car was only around the corner from the police station and we told him it had gone... <laughs> Now, Pat may forget her darling car, but she will, God will never forget you. Ever. He knows where you are all the time. He's got you marked. He's with you. He's working in you. How safe are we? We're absolutely safe. How amazing is that? Let me just draw your attention to one verse in Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. Imagine that. We're his treasured possession, we're his jewels. Can you imagine you're the treasured possession of God, you're his jewel. Isn't that wonderful? Howell in our church cannot pass a a skip if it's got wood in. He has to take it out. And Howell takes the wood and he puts it in his turner, turning machine and he turns it and makes it beautiful, it is beautiful take it out the skip turn it but you know, as a chemist I can tell you that if he burnt it and made it into carbon and then he got the carbon, graphite and he puts it under extreme pressure do you know what it will become? a diamond, I've been saying for years to lads when you get engaged you can save yourself a fortune <laughs> just by a huge lump of graphite it's exactly the same chemically as a diamond. Just give it to your fiancé and she'll be chuffed. Just put it there and keep replacing it. She can write on boards with it. You know, it'd be so happy. <laughs> they don't take any notice of me. Because a diamond is so special, isn't it? But see, it's just ordinary carbon under pressure. Brought made beautiful. And that's what God's doing with you. Do you know what he's doing? He's taking you and me out of the skip of our sin. With all the muck and the grime and the filth. He shaped us into something beautiful, put us under pressure, and you know what we're going to be? Diamonds. You say, well, diamond is worth a lot. It's only carbon, but it's been changed. That's what God's doing with you. He's purifying you. He's making you beautiful. Do you know that old hymn? When he cometh, when he cometh, to make up his jewels, all his jewels, precious jewels, his loved and his own, like the stars of the morning his bright crown adorning they shall shine in their beauty bright gems for his crown isn't that amazing isn't this an incredible passage don't you feel thrilled that God's taking you out of the skip he's making you pure and shaping you and making that pure wonderful diamond that one day will be his in heaven He's working in you. He's working through your weakness. He's working through His Word, through His Church. And He's working. Listen, please listen. He's working through your pain. How will you become pure? Make God your God. Get rid of all the other gods. Whatever how much pain it is. For the pain, take the pain and get the gain. Get rid of the other gods. with all your sin and with all your failures remember you're loved by him. You're his own special people. You're safe. You're in his hands forever. And you're his precious precious jewels. And next week doesn't end. Trevor this afternoon is going to tell us about the next bit. Isn't that amazing? Sell us for good works. Fired up for good Aren't you looking forward to that? Could there be a better person that God could use to bring us that next message? To tie it all up. And send us home rejoicing. Let's turn to God in prayer. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, that you don't change your mind. We thank you that you don't quit on us once you've begun us, that you're going to finish the work you began. We thank you that we can, uh, we can trust you and you never want to be distrusted and you're never exhausted. We thank you that forsake, you never forsake those who are yours. We thank you that you never harden your heart. You should, never shut your mind. You never turn your back on us. We thank you that you never hurt us more than we need to be hurt that we become pure. Help us, O our Heavenly Father, because we do believe you're absolutely faithful to every promise and every provision that you've made for us. Be with us, Heavenly Father. Speak to our hearts. Change our lives through your word, by your Holy Spirit. Make us what we're not and purify for us your own special people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.